Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the New Books in Indian Religions uh, podcast here on the New Books Network. Um, my guest today is a good friend and close colleague, Dr. McComas Taylor, who is Associate Professor and also Reader in Sanskrit at the Australian National University. And Dr. Taylor has completed a monumental enterprise. He has translated into English an entire Mahapurana, none other than the Vishnu Purana. And if that wasn't exciting enough, it's available uh, courtesy of ANU Press, open access. The link is in the podcast notes. Yes, you can access a brand new English translation of the Vishnu Purana at the click of a button. Um, Welcome to the podcast, McComas. Oh, thank you very much, Raj. It's so nice to talk to you. Yes, indeed. We we do a fair bit of emailing, yeah, We're random things here and there, but we so rarely have 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 darshan of each other, albeit via via uh, this online platform. So nice, so nice to see you. Yes, yes, yes. So you've translated the Vishnu Purana. How did this project start up for you? This project actually was suggested to me by uh, uh, by a colleague in Baroda. And uh, Baroda had recently brought out, or not so recently, in the last two decades, had brought out uh, critical editions of some of the Mahapuranas. And they were actually looking for someone to translate the Vayu Purana, which is very, very long. If I remember rightly, it's 20,000 verses or something. And I, th- I thought, well, look, that would be lovely, but, gee, it's a big project. And they said, well, actually, we're also looking for someone to translate the Vishnu Purana. And I'd just spent five years working on the Bhagavata Purana. I said, yes, Vishnu Purana, this sounds more like me. Uh, 5,600 verses, it's not impossibly long. It's a beautiful text. It's in lovely, simple Puranic Sanskrit that even I can understand. And so uh, I, I grabbed this project with both hands, and that was about about six years ago. It was about five years' work, uh, and it spent nearly a year going through the editorial and publishing process. But that's how it really came about. It was a request from colleagues uh, at Baroda. They wanted to see their critical edition translated into English. And originally, originally we'd rather hoped to have a bilingual edition. I'd always seen in my mind that we could have the Sanskrit on one page and the English on the facing page. And unfortunately, that didn't come to fruition. I still have it as as another project in mind, but that's looking forward. Well, that that would be um, so very useful. I remember, um, when was it? Oh, in my master's, I was studying the Valmiki Ramayana. And, and of course, the go-to is the the Baroda Critical Edition and the Golden Translation, some beautiful translation. Um, they just finished it, I think, a couple of years ago. And but the clay edition, the amazing part is they have the Sanskrit um, uh, uh, in transliteration, I believe, if I recall correctly, right beside the English verse. So it's quite useful for study. Uh, so I can I can envision I can envision um, a, a Vishnu Purana version thereof. Um, uh, so many questions. Where do we start? One of the themes that have, has come up a fair bit recently, just by chance, by happenstance, uh, I've recently had uh, Greg Bailey on the podcast, and also I had um, a pair of fantastic scholars working on the Skanda Purana project, Yuko Yokochi and and Peter Bishop. And so, so this notion of critical editions has come up. 
And so Baroda had prepared a critical edition of the Vishnu Purana. What does that mean? A critical edition is a new edition. Uh, scholars will lay out all of the manuscripts they can find. They'll lay them all out on a table and they will go through it word by word and line by line, trying to basically come up with a new edition, hopefully without any mistakes in it, hopefully comparing the different, uh, the different manuscripts. There's, there's a bit of a philosophy behind this and much of the idea of a critical edition is to get back to the earliest version that must have been the ancestor of all of these other versions, all of these other manuscripts. I'm, I feel a little bit critical of this. This actually arose from uh, 19th, 18th and 19th century biblical scholarship. The idea came from scholars who were working on editions of the Bible and they they believed that if they they put of all of the all of the versions, let's say of the of of uh, gospel according to Luke, if they put all of these out on the table, they could get back to the original gospel according to Saint Luke, and therefore capture the true word of God. So scholars trained in this tradition came to Indian studies to Sanskrit studies and wanted to do the same thing. They thought they could capture the original text. And this this has become a bit of a fetish. I've never really thought that the original text, maybe it never even existed. Maybe uh, scholars working in, in different places came up with different versions of the text or you had a bit, I had a bit, we put them together. Who's got the original? I've always thought that the most important version of the text was actually the Vulgate, that is to say the most common version of the text, the text that everybody reads, the text that creates uh, social dis- discourse, so the, the text that is most influential, the most widespread text. However, critical editions do have a very useful function, and that is they give scholars like you and me a beautiful, clean edition with a, a minimum number of mistakes in it that we can work on. I don't, I don't regard, I don't regard critical editions as uh, something that's that's uh, unique. It's not the Ur text. It's not the original, but it is a very useful additional edition that we can work we can work with. Uh, now, one of the downsides with critical editions is they've actually rather killed off other editions or manuscript editions. So, for example, since the publication, particularly of of Mahabharata critical edition, nearly all scholars will refer to that and neglect the other versions of that text. So while while it's enormously convenient and wonderful and everything pretty well is online now, it's wonderful to have these texts, it has actually rather limited the, the sorts of sources that scholars look at. You know, on the podcast, as you can imagine, there are a variety of, of subfields, projects, methodologies, uh, ethnographic or textual work, uh, various historical periods, a variety of methodologies. And, you know, I, my my dharma, if you will, as I see it, is to showcase whatever the work is. Um, uh, in this case, there happens to be a great deal of resonance between what we study and how we study them. And I tend to share the the, the misgivings or a slight discomfort with critical editions, and yet, much like you, I use them. You know, 
I, um, um, I worked on the Markandi Purana. What am I looking at? I'm looking at Parjuda's translation of Banerjee's critical edition, right, from the early 19th century. And I'm looking at it in English because the students read English. Or the, 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 hopefully you're trying to reach more a larger audience than the 12 specialists on the planet, right? Um, and so they're convenient and we use them. And yet there is this tension there with a tradition that is consciously dynamic. And really, I see the modern understandings of the Purana, even the way it rolls off the tongue at times, the telling is on the tongue, the text is on the tongue. I see it as the most upgraded software, the most upgraded cultural software in many ways. Um, uh, you know, I, I had my eyes opened a little bit uh, by having the researchers uh, the, 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 the in charge of the, the Skanda Purana project on the podcast. And really what they're striving to do is uh, preserve as much of the texture as they can, probably not dissimilar from um, 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 the apparatus of the Mabarta critical edition, but it, it strikes me that they're doing it in a much more uh, rigorous manner. So this <laughs> this is not an issue that will um, evaporate anytime soon, but Yuko Yokochi put it this way and it really stayed with me. She said, uh, and, and she actually produced the critical uh, text for the latest um, volume of the Skanda Purana. She said, the critical edition is our hypothesis. It's a hypothesis. It's not a conclusion. It's what we hypothesize to be uh, the common ancestor to all of these these manuscript species. So um, I think that's worth talking about on the podcast. Um, Now, Vishnu Purana... Um, uh, 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 very few people before you have have fully translated it into English. Who, if anyone, before you has done so? The the one of the foundational, one of the very first British Orientalists, H. H. Wilson, published a very good translation in eighteen forty. Uh, why bother retranslating it? Why have I spent five years redoing it if H.H. H. Wilson already did it? Well, there are a couple of good reasons. Uh, firstly, the English language has really evolved in the last 200 years. Uh, his is very, uh, it's certainly, it's very dated. The language is very dated. So that's one point. Another point is that his translation is actually quite boulderized. So it's been sanitized for a Victorian audience. You wouldn't want to shock anybody with anything too sexual. And there's quite a lot of sex and violence in Vishnu Purana that he, he thought to, uh, to, to remove or, or just to, to gloss over. So when uh, couples are having sex, he says they are, they are disporting themselves. It's all, very, it's all very chaste. It's all very lovely. And so I've... Um, I, I've been able to, to update that. Uh, again, he was working from a variety of manuscripts uh, that are incomplete, and the critical edition, I think, is a better source to translate from. But finally, the Vishnu Purana is nearly entirely, or, or, or let's say uh, 80% written in shloka metre. It's in verse. There is beauty in the language itself. And one of the things that I'm very pleased about with, with this translation project, and I think it might be unique among translations from the Sanskrit, I've, I've rendered the Sanskrit shlokas 
into blank verse. Now, what is blank verse? Blank verse is English verse, but it's it's slightly metrical, but it, I haven't worried about trying to make it rhyme, but it is, I believe, and I hope, pleasant to read. It's pleasant to read aloud. And this is my, my way of, of honouring the, uh, the musicality and the sonics of shloka meter. Of course, Vishnu Purana is actually, it was created to be sung or recited or chanted. And I really love the idea of somebody reading Vishnu, my translation in blank verse of the Vishnu Purana aloud. And I hope they will enjoy the musicality and the sonics of the English that I've used. So the verses, uh, I've, they have a little bit of rhythm, they have a little bit of metricality, they are faithful to the original. I haven't, as I say, I haven't worried about rhyme, but I've tried to turn this into language that will excite and language that will stimulate, language that is beautiful. You know, that's really, uh, in my view, a, a really important feature of the translation in that it's attentive to utterance, right? And this is so forgotten in our world, particularly uh, in scholarship, right? Um, 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 and the travesty is that Sanskrit's so um, preoccupied with the production of sound, right? And the ways in which sounds elide or, or come together. And it's, 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 it's uttering them aloud that matters. So I find it so cool that you have, you are attentive to that in translating it with an intention that it would be uttered aloud in English, book one creation. Maitreya asks Parashara about the world. When Parashara, that best of sages, had finished his morning rites, Maitreya bowed, saluted him, and asked, I studied all the Vedas with you, Master, and all the legal texts and supplements in due order. Thanks to your generosity, none could say that I am remiss in any of these works, great sage, not even my adversaries. You know virtue, fortunate seer, and now I'd like to hear about the origin of the world and how it will fare in future. It's there. Don't stop. Don't stop, Raj. That was beautiful. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> This is unscripted. He's not a plant, I assure you. <laughs> that was really nice. So, Raj, this is what it's about. You're right on the money there. The Sanskrit is beautiful to read. The Sanskrit is beautiful to sing and to chant. And if any way I've been able to reproduce that in English, then I feel very happy and satisfied. And I love to hear the way you rendered that just then. I, I must say that another long-term project, I talked about one long-term project as being... Uh, a bilingual edition. Another long-term project is to have an audiobook version, either with me reading snippets. Now, I, I will be reading snippets with an Australian accent. What I really want to do is, is to have maybe a more authentic Indian voice, re either reading the whole thing or reading snippets, uh, because this is the way it is to be experienced. As you say, uh, in Indic culture, it's the power of sound. It's the shabda that that is the pramana. It's, it's the most important thing. And uh, if there's some way of communicating that more easily, I think the most e the easiest way is through an audio book or an audio recording. So this is something that I have in mind. 
uh, and I've actually done some little experiments. There's some very good computerized, digitized voices online at the moment. Uh, now, everyone knows the voice of Siri or the other sort of assistants. If you hunt around online, there's a good variety of Indian voices, Indian English voices. And I found a lovely middle-aged, sedate, well-modulated Indian female voice that I really, really liked. And I was getting her to read big chunks of Vishnu Purana, but the problem was she was having terrible trouble with the Sanskrit names. <laughs> and so that whole project I've, I've had to put on hold. I couldn't teach her to, to pronounce uh, these Sanskrit names correctly, so I've just had to leave that. But it's certainly a long-term ambition to have this available in some audio format. So you can play it on your iPod, you can play it in the car. That's what I'd love to do. That's the next stage of this project. That's fantastic. Listen, um, I know a guy. <laughs> Let me know. We'll talk. <laughs> we'll, talk. we'll talk. <laughs> My people call you people. We'll figure it out. Um, that's fantastic. Um, how did you become so attentive to the to the 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 the, the, the oral the, the the sonic the you know the the uttered aloud dimension? Um, maybe talk a bit about your, your research with the Bhagavata Purana or Sanskrit or wherever. I mean, how like how did that? I, I really have to say, um, I know many many fine scholars. They don't always have an appreciation for this dimension. It might be a musical thing. It might be a cultural thing. And yet, clearly, these texts were meant. I mean, yeah, you, one needs to almost be a reincarnate bard to actually bring them to life, you know. So, so how, how did you, how did you, uh, how did you, how did you attune yourself to the text in this manner? I guess because I came to Sanskrit through Asian studies more generally, Raj. I didn't have the formal Indological training that most of my colleagues had. So I came through Chinese studies and Tibetan studies where, where we were speaking and we were singing all the time. And so when I came to Sanskrit studies, I brought that tradition. I didn't bring a tradition of uh, dry textual scholarship. Uh, I, I didn't come with this sort of Indological, philological background. I came from a liter really a literary studies background. And so I... I, as soon as I, as soon as I could, uh, I learned to sing a little bit of Sanskrit. I, I studied with the wonderful Dr. Sadananda Das uh, in Heidelberg and in Leipzig. I uh, studied spoken Sanskrit with Sadananda, and uh, so I teach my own students to sing and to, and to speak. And I think the reason is that I've, I came, I actually came to Sanskrit from this different tradition not from a philological tradition, but from a literary uh, and an and oral tradition. And this was really uh, reinforced by uh, a wonderful project that I worked on before the Vishnu Purana, as you mentioned, the Bhagavata Purana. Now, the Bhagavata Purana is like the Vishnu Purana's, can I say, clever brother? <laughs> Maybe that's not quite right. It's... it's uh, uh, it's evolved. The, the Bhagavata Purana 
basically took the material from the Vishnu Purana and enlarged it and enhanced it and made it even more beautiful and more poetic and more courtly and more bhakti, more devotion-oriented. And it's important because it has a strong living tradition. Now, most of of our Sanskrit studies, we're reading texts that, yes, they've been around for 3,000 years, but they're not widely read these days. The Bhagavata Purana is an exception because it's a widely read, widely recited, widely performed text. And for five years or so, I chased oral performances of the Bhagavata Purana around India and around the world. And I interviewed the uh, uh, professional uh, scholar uh, uh, Pravachakas, so these, these scholars who are trained in this tradition of telling stories from the Bhagavata Purana. So they'll sing or recite verses from the text in Sanskrit and then they'll explain the story in the local vernacular uh, to, the, to the audience. So this is a real living tradition of, uh, of oral performance of a Sanskrit text, which nobody had really looked at carefully before I, I had uh, undertaken this project. And... One of, one of my questions is what makes these texts powerful? What makes them authentic? And what makes them able to touch people's hearts as much as anything? And it was the oral performance of it. It's, it's the hearing the sound from, from uh, an authentic source, from a guru, from a pravachika, from a, a, an esteemed lineage. And again, this ties back to what we were talking about a few moments ago. The power is in the sound. The authenticity is in the lineage and the tradition. And so this, again, very much tied in with my own interest with, with spoken Sanskrit, with, uh, with song, with the beauty of the language. And again, coming to this as a literary, a, a scholar of literature rather than a, a philologist in the old sense, this all ties together very nicely for me. So um, you and I have, um, you know, interacted at some conferences, probably since the World Sanskrit Conference in 2015, and you know, they're they're liminal spaces, and we've had uh, half a dozen conversations, and then we've somehow managed to bounce emails back and forth, and I think I roped you in into co-editing something that we'll talk about in a moment, and we have this sort of rapport. But you know, I really didn't know your background <laughs> before I asked you on this podcast. And um, what's so interesting to me is that um, you know uh, uh, the podcast host uh, of this podcast may actually um, have started off in English literature. Uh, my undergrad degree was English literature was my first love uh, academically. Um, uh, It took a circuitous route, which, you know, it's it's all about the scenic route. But what's interesting is that I came across the Devi Mahatmya uh, in the liturgical context. I came across it chanted aloud, uh, ritually intoned. Um, 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 I was... (laughs) I was at the AIS doing some Sanskrit training in Pune. AIS is American Institute of Indian Studies. They have a fantastic uh, uh, language training, South Asian languages. And um, Sanskrit is headquartered in Pune, the city of Ganapati. Um, <laughs> uh, it happened to be for the fall semester. So, of course, it was uh, Durga Puja time. And 
the 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 lovely lovely teacher there her name was madura she was like you know a yoda of sanskrit studies so many uh, sanskritists in the west have studied with with her uh her family had this um this uh, no, uh puja just Durga puja uh, where they were uh, were setting the devi mahatmya and i remember vividly how live the text was and <laughs> um in between recitations i actually was um storytelling telling tales from the Devi Mahatmya, uttering them aloud. And it was just this, this, this experience, you know, and it's, it's just, um, it really contextualizes the power of the text. You're giving me a thumbs up. So <laughs> I, I, I totally understand where you're coming from, Raj. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know me. Um, <laughs> that's great. So, Having translated this text, um, well, why don't you say a, a bit about the overarching maybe structure? What, what is the Vishnu Purana made up of? Uh, Vishnu Purana is basically it takes the deity Vishnu and places that deity in in his multiple uh, manifestations. So Vishnu, Vishnu and uh, uh, Krishna, for example, are, are used absolutely interchangeably in this text and places the deity at, at the centre of everything. The Vishnu Purana is the history of the universe, right from its creation, uh, the origin of the gods and uh, the origin of uh, humanity, the development of society, the uh, lineages of the sun and the moon, the advent of Krishna, the uh, the lila the the uh, uh, the sports of Krishna, and then the destruction of the universe, the destruction of the world. So it's from the beginning right through to the end, and all the way through, Krishna Vishnu is at the center of all the narratives, uh, at the center of all of the philosophy, and at the center of reality. Krishna. Vishnu is Brahma, is the ultimate reality of existence. So uh, that's that's roughly the structure, a history of the world, a history of everything, but also a guide to life. There's a section in the middle that I've called Society. There's a whole book on uh, social practice, on domestic practice, on marriage rights, on uh Shraddha on on uh, uh, the offerings for deceased ancestors, behaviour in bed, uh, behaviour in society, behaviour towards your guru, the stages of life, the duties of the different communities. So there's this whole section on on a guide to life. And in fact, one of the working titles that I had begun with was the Vishnu Purana. A history of everything and guide to life, and I still think of it very much in, in those terms. <laughs> well, you'll have to save that title for when you when you write your 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 public facing commentary on on the Vishnu Purana. You know, some decades from now, when you you know when you're even wiser than you are, and you don't care what academics think, and you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but as for now, it's called the Vishnu Purana, and the subtitle is Ancient Annals of the God with Lotus Eyes. It's quite poetic. It's quite lovely. What, um, having done this translation, what's changed? What's changed about your perspective uh, of the text or of, of anything, really? 
Oh, well, that's a good question, Raj. You know, halfway through this text, I suddenly realised that I loved it. I never really, I, you know, it, it was a good text. I've been enjoying it. I've been working on it maybe for a year, maybe two years. And then I can remember very clearly at one stage thinking, I really love this text because of its beauty, because of its poetry, because of its visions. And I think you and I share a, a, a susceptibility to the, the sorts of uh, uh, images that are, that are very commonly used, the tropes of Sanskrit literature. Uh, the gold, the elephants, the lotuses, the forest. You and I respond very warmly. The peacocks. You and I respond very warmly to what I, to, to what I call the Sanskritic thought world. The beautiful descriptions of the forest at, at, at Vrindavana, to use the Sanskrit pronunci- pronunciation, so Vrindavan. Uh, the beautiful description of, of the passage of the seasons. It's It's... It, it really captured me. About halfway through, I said, yes, I really love this text. And I haven't really felt so strongly about other texts that I've worked on in the past, but there is something special about this. And also the fact that it's not particularly well known, it really has been eclipsed by and large by the Bhagavata Purana. And the Bhagavata Purana is sub- sublimely lovely. It's a beautiful text but it's in in a different register. Bhagavata Purana is written as courtly poetry for rasikas. What is a rasika? A rasika is someone who enjoys the, the essence of poetry, a, a, um, a connoisseur. It's, it's in a much more difficult register, much of it, whereas Vishnu Purana is written in workaday Puranic Sanskrit, as I said earlier, and is in that sense is, is much more accessible. It's rather less sententious than Bhagavata Purana. Every verse in Bhagavata Purana has a, um, uh, has a sort of a didactic twist at the end, whereas this is, more, this is more straightforward narrative and storytelling, I think. Well, one's a symphony and one's like a rock concert or some sort of concert, <laughs> soft rock, whatever does it for you. As a, uh, uh, Yes, the susceptibility, I guess you and I are easily seduced by the tropes of Sanskrit narrative. This is true. This is true. Um, <laughs> I, I, I had to mute myself because I was laughing as I heard you declare your love for the Vishnu Purana or, or, or um, more than that, uh, declare that you discovered your love halfway through. I have a secret to tell you, something that I've long known Unfortunately, I'm probably a life coach more than I'm an academic most days, but scholars are deeply passionate about the things they think are only intellectual curiosities. <laughs> How I know this? Because they spend thousands of hours pursuing these things and they're not embittered. <laughs> so there's, so I'm not surprised you deeply love this text. Um, and sometimes texts call to you, I find, and you don't even quite realize why you love them so until you analyze them. So yeah. I suspect some of that, um, some of that was happening with your uh, translation project. Do you find it? What's your process like? What's your what's? How do you how do you translate? What does that look like for you? Uh, uh, well, translation is best done before the sun reaches the meridian, as you probably know, Raj. I can translate in the mornings. 
uh, I get I get I get dumber and dumber as the day progresses. And really, by the end of the afternoon, the best I can manage is taking books back to the library. Quite frankly, so so it's it's this question of capitalizing when your intellectual energy is most available uh, uh, early in the morning. First thing, first first session in the morning, nine till ten thirty. I'm I'm a creature of habit. Uh, I I love to work nine to five. I love to work five days a week. I keep this very very. So it means I never get tired of it. I never get sick of it. Uh, so I keep it nicely structured. So I'll I'll look at a verse. I'll do my best. I, again, Vishnu Purana is not particularly difficult. <clears throat> I, I had some very good company during this pro uh, during this process. Firstly, there was always, if I got stuck, there was always H.H. Wilson, 1840. If Wilson didn't help me, there are, uh, there are good Sanskrit commentaries. Now, commentaries are, are written by scholars in medieval times for people like me, people who basically know Sanskrit but might get stuck every now and then. And so the scholar a commentator will take a word and will provide synonyms for it or a little bit of explanation. So I have some good commentaries. There was a there was a Hindi there was a Hindi translation that um, uh, Hindi translations can be useful, but the trouble is that if they don't really understand the Sanskrit word either, they just put it into a Hindi sentence. So that's not as useful as it might be. And it's very important that I mention uh, a wonderful translation of the Vishnu Purana by Peter Schreiner, uh, a good friend and colleague from Germany. So uh, Peter translated this some years ago, and his translation was also always at my elbow as well. So this enabled me basically to come up with uh, a good, clear prose translation of each, each verse. Uh, on a good day, I could manage 20 or 30 verses probably. But then came the next stage of trying to render them into some some pleasant, uh, as I say, blank verse. So working over the English, reading it aloud, trying it out on people. So, it's, so it flowed, so it was smooth uh, to bring out those, those sonic qualities that you and I have talked about. So first a prose translation, then rendering it into verse and polishing and polishing and polishing. And, and I, again, I think all scholars do this. We find it very hard to let go of our babies. I kept on saying, just one more read through, just one more read through. And each time I went through it, I'd, I'd change a little bit until I probably, I, in the end, you just have to say, yes, enough. Okay. And off it goes. Yes, um, uh, Mao, uh, there's so many, uh, there's so many pieces there. Okay, the first piece is the translations you were consulting. Peter Schreiner's is in German, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, um, that's right. And so, in German. and so, so, how many English translations of the Vishnu Purana are there? Well, there really is only uh, there's really only Wilson's, and then there, there's an early 20th century retelling of Wilson Dutt's translation. Uh, D-U-double-T. He, he really took, uh, he took Wilson's translation and uh, strangely enough, he, he 
uh, turned it into King, King James English. So he took all the yous <laughs> and yours and he turned them all into these and thines. Uh, so it's not a translation. It's really just a, re, a, re, uh, a rehashing. A rendering. Wilson, a rendering. rendering of Wilson. Uh, and that's about it for English. So so what McComas is trying to say, which I'm trying to lead him to say is, Raj, there are only two translations in English. There's one from 1840 and then there's mine. <laughs> this is a big deal. <laughs> I'll just deal. <laughs> it's a big deal, Ron. <laughs> now, as to the second part of, of, of your process, um, the 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 uh, the um, the poetic dimension so would you literally utter them aloud would you share them with people as you're working through yes, them and yes, ask I, have, opinions? I have uttered them aloud i have shared them with people uh and i've i've had my audio assistant uh, i've had these computerized voices reading them aloud and that's actually not a bad way to do it because then you hear somebody else reading your own text back to you and you think oh gee that's not quite right or we need a comma here or that word's not quite right move this phrase to there. So all the time keeping an eye on the root text because fidelity to the root text is, the, is, is, is for me as a translator and a scholar, is absolutely crucial. But thinking about how people are going to receive and consume this text, uh, uh, the, the fluidity, the fluency, the beauty of the language, and my my computerized consultant, my electronic voice. Yeah, your, your computerized consultant. We'll re, we'll refer to her as um, Siri Auntie from now on. <laughs> Siri Auntie, <laughs> <laughs> I like it a lot. Uh, what was her name? I can't I can't remember her name, but she was. Uh, yeah, she's worked very well for me. Oh, maybe you know, rather than Siri, her name is Shri. <laughs> Shri. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we digress. Um, um, if I'm not mistaken, you there was also a, a recent translation that was um, useful or an inspiration to you. It might have been um, the Harivamsha translation. That's exactly right. There are a couple of a couple of translations or, or retranslations that really influenced me. So. Uh, our friend and colleague Simon Brodbeck from Cardiff has rendered the Vishnu, the critical edition of the Vishnu uh, of the uh, Harivamsha, into English. Now that had a big effect on me, Raj. It was the first time I read a translation of a Sanskrit text that didn't read like a translation, and this is something really different. This it read like fluent, natural. English. It's a beautiful, it's a, Simon's work is, is a beautiful work. He's done a lovely job with that Vishnu Purana. And it really, it threw a switch for me that it is possible to translate Sanskrit into English such that it is faithful to the original but doesn't read like a translation. That was the first thing. So Simon, Simon's work had a big influence on mine. The second thing is uh, Carol Satyamurti published a, uh, a blank verse retelling, a rendering of Mahabharatam. Now, it's not a translation. So her methodology was this, as I understand it. She would read a chapter or one or two chapters, and while it was fresh in her mind, she would create verse uh, retelling what she had read. So it's not a translation, not a word-by-word -word translation. It's a recreation in blank verse. 
And that, that's a beautiful text. And again, she's captured the sonics of the original. She's captured the musicality of the original. So it was the combination of these two, Raj. It was, it was Simon's work that showed that you could translate English, you could translate Sanskrit into English such that it didn't read like a translation. And secondly, Carol Satyamurti's work that blank verse is, is a beautiful way to, uh, to render Sanskrit texts. That's beautiful on so many levels. Um, what, um, <laughs> I, I realize you love the text. What bits were more, most exciting to you or the most, I mean, what stood out to you or what, you know, what, what parts were the juiciest to you, the most interesting, the most fun to translate? Oh, I, I love the stories of Krishna, uh, playing in the forest at Vrindavan, Vrindavana. Uh, there, are lovely, there are lovely passages of uh, autumn in the forest. There are lovely passages, uh, passages of Krishna uh, uh, subduing these various demons sent by Kamsa to, to destroy him. Uh, I think of those, of those demons, uh, you know the serpent Kalia, who lives in the Yamuna River, uh, is polluting the Yamuna River and is rendering the, the district around unusable to the cow herding folk. And Krishna goes to subdue this serpent by dancing on by dancing on its hood. Uh, the serpent's wives come out with their, their their swaying bodies and their glistening earrings, and they beg Krishna, please desist, please spare our husband. And Krishna desists and spares the serpent, and the serpent uh, becomes a devotee, uh, uh, pays homage to Krishna, and then departs to the ocean whence he had come. These are beautiful passages, and they're, they're a little bit playful. Uh, they're, they're quite devotional. Lovely imagery, and I think these are these are the ones uh, that really sparked my interest. And if someone wants to dip into Vishnu Purana, uh, Krishna subdues Kalia uh, would be a very a very good place to start. I think. Fantastic! So the text has succeeded in facilitating bhakti, even in its translator. <laughs> I don't think you can spend years engaging with these texts without them touching you in some way. You'd you'd have to have a heart of stone, I think, uh, really, to remain completely immune or untouched by these texts, right? Well, they're they're transformative, right? They're they're, they're meant to be transformative. They're unassumingly transformative. They're, They're folk narratives that... It encodes such profundity if you pay attention in a, in a playful way. Yeah, it's it's um, <laughs> it's uh, profound actually. Um, <laughs> is there anything else that you wanted to share about this translation of the Vishnu Purana? I, I I love the fact that it's open access. I love the fact that anyone anywhere in the world can download it for nothing. I I, I really hope people will will access it and enjoy it. Uh, it, not necessarily. You wouldn't necessarily read it from one end to the other for pleasure. Uh, in the introduction, I've indicated a couple of the more accessible and more enjoyable passages. Some of the Krishna pa- passages, for example. Uh, I love the people. I love the idea of this text, which has really sat on the shelf for a long time. It's not widely read. It's not widely known. As I say, there's 
translation from 200 years ago. Here it is. Again, it's accessible to everyone, and I love the idea of people enjoying it. Fantastic. Um, let's make mention that there will be another publication, Open Access, at ANU Press in the not too distant future, maybe in a year or so. Um, I think that someone has, someone, maybe the podcast host currently has roped you in to co-editing this thing with this with this poetic and or cheesy name that he came up with, Visions and Revisions of Sanskrit Narrative. Do you want to say a quick word about that? This is an exciting project, Raj, and I, and I don't think you roped me in. I think I leapt at the opportunity to work with you on this. Again, it it brings together a whole lot of things I love. I, I love the, the literary approach to the study of text. You know, it wasn't that long ago I was at a conference. It would be 20 years ago I was at a conference and a German scholar said, he said, we are, we, we are interested in Sanskrit text, but we are not interested in your opinions about literature. And he had rather misunderstood what literary studies were. I said, but, but every year there must be a hundred PhD theses written about Goethe, a hundred PhD theses written about Schiller. And he stroked his long grey beard and he said, yes, well, Sanskrit is not yet ready for literary studies, perhaps sometime in the future. The future is Ouch. here. <laughs> the future is here. We are, doing, we are doing literary studies of Sanskrit texts. So that's one thing. The fact that most of the um, con- contributions to this uh, to this collection are literary studies. That's important. Secondly, uh, I love the fact that there are so many studies of Puranic texts in this forthcoming collection. Uh, historically, Puranas have always been on the, on the outskirts. They haven't been central. People have been very much concentrated on 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 Vedic texts, the Brahmanas, Upanishads, uh, courtly poetry. But uh, uh, the epics, of course, have been absolutely central. But uh, to see scholarship, such good scholarship on Puranic texts, I think it's very exciting. And, of course, the collection has some great papers from really good scholars on, uh, uh, on epic texts, Mahabharata particularly, uh, Ramayana as well. So such a nice collection of uh, literary insights into uh, narratives found in in the epics, Mahabharatam, uh, Ramayanam, and uh, Puranas. Very exciting project. <laughs> you know, um, this whole literary thing, I, I, it, <laughs> I, unsurprisingly perhaps, I really, really resonate with what you're saying. Um, 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 this guy that roped you into this podcast, I think he might have done the first literary study of <laughs> the Devi Matmya. <laughs> you know what's really bizarre? I've never quite understood why we clicked the way we did. Um, until now, <laughs> until this podcast, that we I now consciously understand um, the way of being that we've sort of internalized, and obviously it's not just the two of us, but I understand now why there's just this synergy and this this instinctive um, uh, instinctive uh, uh, methodological approach to these texts. They are literature; they're they're phenomenal literature, and just because they're not. Um, meant to be read cover to cover or they're not uh produced by a single author in one sitting see this is this is the the paradigm shift 
they're 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 multi generational. They're like a house that's renovated age after age by people attentive to the design, attentive to the needs of 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 of, 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 of what the plumbing or the vosture or whatever. And there's there's just such um, extraordinary method to the madness of these texts if you sort of know how to look. And obviously, frame narratives are key. Um, but yeah, apparently, um, within a year or so, there'll be this exciting open access volume, uh, Visions and Revisions of Sanskrit Narrative with ANU Press featuring some phenomenal scholars. I have to say to you, it's a bit of an out-of-body experience, although I'm doing the, the, the monkey work of the correspondence. It's still an out-of-body experience to kind of see the names that have said yes to this thing. It's like, okay, great. I, I'm not, people might think I was bribing these people. I don't know why they all said yes, but some of the biggest names in our field easily are, are contributing to this volume. So it's really cool to see it come together, to be honest with you. No, great project. Very happy to be part of that. And I think this this will be a real milestone in in studies of Sanskrit narrative literature. Probably the most important thing since Purana Purenas, which came out, that must be... 93, I believe. Nearly 30 years ago. So this will be a milestone with such good scholarship, such interesting and generally accessible articles. One of the things I really enjoyed about working on the uh, vision and revision text is is the readability of the articles. Yes, they're written by, by, uh, by outstanding scholars, but they are written in a, in a generally accessible uh, uh, mode. Fantastic, fantastic. So in the podcast notes, um, we'll obviously put links to your website, um, to the Vishnu Purana translation, of course, of course. And also, well, how we, I think we met at the World Sanskrit Conference probably in 2015 for the first time in person. Um, that's kind of surreal because I don't know when we, and maybe we met again <laughs> at a triannual conference. So 2015, we met in person, then 2018 again in in uh, Victoria, BC, Vancouver. Um, <laughs> and then three years later, which was last year, it didn't happen. So it'll be next year. And where is it going to be? Well, the World Sanskrit Conference should have been in Canberra, Australia in January this year, but like everything else in the world, it was turned upside down. So we postponed it to January 2022, and I'm, we will be making an official announcement on the 1st of July as to what we were going to as to what we are going to do. I'm sorry to say that the World Sanskrit Conference will not be held. On in January 2022, as it's most unlikely that the Australian borders will be open to international travellers by then. Uh, but on the 1st of July, we will make an announcement. Uh, and that announcement, I, I don't mind leaking this to your audience, Raj, we're going to postpone it another year. So the World Sanskrit Conference will take place in Canberra, Australia in January 2023. Wow. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Mind you, by the time this podcast is out, it might be post-announcement. Well, maybe I'll expedite the publication of this podcast. I'll see what I can do. Um, um, so then, if all goes as planned, there'll be two conferences two years in a row. I, 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 we, haven't, we haven't spoken to our uh, 
colleagues in Kathmandu where the next conference is to be held, it, it seems almost certain that they will postpone as well. I think this will push the schedule out. The whole world has been turned upside down, Raj, and Sanskrit studies has certainly not been immune to the to the trauma, to the uh, disturbance that the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, anyhow, the, the 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 aside from the pandemic pressures and 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 uh, these these um, uh, uh, interesting times. <laughs> to say the least that we're in, the World Sanskrit Conference is very much a vibrant entity and um, I look forward to to when next it will meet in person when we'll feature some fantastic um, Purana papers, among other things, various Sanskrit papers. Fantastic. Is there anything else that you wanted to share before we close for today? Just one other thing, Raj. If any of your listeners are keen to pursue Sanskrit studies, we offer an online Sanskrit course that is in some ways unique. Uh, It's offered through Open Universities Australia. If you just Google Sanskrit Australia, you'll come straight to us. It's unique in a couple of ways. Firstly, it's a fully accredited tertiary course. So this course is not, it's not a community course. It's It's a tertiary course and will count as credit towards a degree at a university anywhere in the world. That's one thing. And another thing is that it incorporates uh, an element of production of Sanskrit, not just reception. What do I mean by production? I mean students learn to speak Sanskrit, they learn to chant Sanskrit, as well as the normal scholarly disciplines of mastering the grammar and being able to read and write. So it's it's a highly innovative course. It's online. Uh, it's supported by an e-text. Uh, the entire first year syllabus is captured in an e-text called Joy of Sanskrit, which anyone can download free from the ANU Press. And then we meet, uh, so it's actually a flipped classroom. Students work online for eight hours by themselves and they come together into a web-enabled classroom with me for two hours every week. So please, uh, open Universities Australia Sanskrit, you'll come straight to us and we start again in February next year. Fantastic. Well, uh, this has been a, 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 a rich um, conversation, at least as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, thank you very much for appearing on the podcast today, McComas. Oh, it's been so much fun, Raj. I always enjoy our interactions and I've particularly enjoyed speaking to you today. Fantastic. For those of you listening, we've been speaking with Dr. McComas Taylor, Associate Professor and Reader in Sanskrit at the Australian National University. He teaches Sanskrit online. Check it out. Um, um, And more to the point of this podcast, he has just produced for the first time in nearly two centuries um, an English translation of the Vishnu Purana, attentive to utterance, available, open access online. Links in the podcast notes. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and keep uttering Sanskrit verses aloud. Take care.